by things that other people want us to do. And we need not spend our lives trying to please other people. We can't be everywhere. We can't do everything. We have limitations. So the Word of God encourages us to know who we are and what God wants us to do within His kingdom. So this morning I want to ask you, who are you in Christ? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you devoted to Him? Are you loyal to Him? Are you living for Him? And what does God want you to do specifically? Uh, specifically, we looked in the, the Word last week about the members of the body each doing their part. Not every eye trying to also be an ear or a hand or a foot, but being what God wants you to be so that the whole body can build itself up in love. If we can answer these two questions, who am I, what am I supposed to do, then we'll be able to set our priorities and not have to live crazy, busy lives. Now, we've been fighting busyness this whole series, all through the month of August. At least we've been fighting crazy busyness. And what is that again? Crazy busyness is filling our lives to the max with things that have little or no eternal value. Just a whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of things that we may want to do, others may want us to do, but in the end, ultimately doesn't really change anything about eternity. Many of us admitted that we are crazy busy. And so we are starting to make some changes to our lives. But this morning, we want to acknowledge with Kevin DeYoung, the author of Crazy Busy, that some busyness can't be avoided. Some busyness can't. In fact, it shouldn't. Some busyness is necessary. Some busyness is good and even commanded by God. Do you know which part is busy by God and which is not? As DeYoung says, the reason that we are busy is because we're supposed to be. In other words, some ways God, in some ways, God wants us to be busy. He wants us to live a certain way, and it's going to require our effort. It's going to require our time. It's going to require our energy. If we have creativity, ambition, and love, you are going to be busy, DeYoung says. So what is the balance? How can we keep our guard up against crazy busyness when all the while our lives are still very full, full of thought, activity, emotion? We asked at the beginning of the series, when is busyness bad? Today we want to ask, when is busyness good? <laughs> and so we're going to go to the story in Luke chapter 10 of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Now some of you know this story. You know, just very little uh, a tidbit of, of information about what happened that day. There's more to the story, I'm sure, but this is what we were told in Luke chapter 10. Many of us have read this passage. Maybe it will be new to you. Jesus is close friends with two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. They live in Bethany, which is about two or three miles east of Jerusalem. And so very easily, Jesus and his disciples could go to their house and spend time with them, and they often did. On this occasion, we can assume that Jesus and his 12 disciples have come maybe for the night, or at least for a big meal to which they've been invited by Martha. That's 13 extra guests. How many of you would want that in your house? How many say, oh no, 13 more mountains? These are men. These are big men. And they eat a lot. They're hungry because they've been out on the road. They've been eating whatever they could scrounge together at the campsites. And now they're coming to my house. You can imagine Martha's and Mary's thoughts. Let's read together 
chapter 10 of Luke. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, it seems that Martha invited Jesus' disciples to stay in her home. It's possible that she did so out of some sense of obligation, but I would guess she had the gift of hospitality, and she actually wanted Jesus and his disciples to come. She wanted to take care of them. She wanted to provide their need, but not only that, but to do it in a very good manner. She was glad to take care of them, but it was a lot of work, as you could admit. What's more, her sister Mary snuck out of the kitchen. <laughs> she snuck out, middle of preparation, left Martha by herself, and she's out sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his every word. And Martha is understandably upset with her sister Mary. Kevin DeYoung says in his book, he says, you know, I take up for Martha here. He says, that's the kind of person I am. I like to take care of people. I like to be responsible. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm a hard worker. And this is who Mary is. She's busy meeting the needs of her friends and her guests. What do you think we should do for Martha? Well, I think we should commend her. Don't you think that? And Martha agrees. <laughs> Martha says, look, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do here. She honestly believes that she's doing the right thing. And Luke tells, her, tells us that she went to Jesus thinking he would back her up. That he would tell Mary to get back in the kitchen. Get the meal ready because that's what is required. And Jesus says, Martha, you know you're worried a lot of, uh, about a lot of things. You're fretting needlessly here. Mary has found the one thing that is important. And I'm not going to take that away from her. Now maybe... The meal is great. Maybe the food was necessary. But Martha's idea was to do it in such a way that she was missing the very point of Jesus coming there. Martha is distracted from the best by some good things. And don't we get distracted from the best sometimes? We are all very busy, but not with what matters most, DeYoung says. Martha isn't doing anything bad. She's just being pulled away from what is better. She's so busy with dinner but she's giving Jesus her leftovers, the leftovers of her life. And while she's busy making a meal that Jesus would enjoy, she missed the opportunity to spend time with him and learn from him. How many times do our responsibilities and chores keep us from spending time with Jesus by praying or by getting into his word? We think, well, I'll get there, but I've got so much to do. And our to-do list gets in the way of even spending time with Jesus. We need to make time with Jesus our priority or we will easily miss everything else he's telling us to do. The only adds, by spending time with the Lord in the word and prayer, we are likely to gain new perspective on our hassles and our headaches. Starting each day with eternity makes our petty problems and long to-do lists seem less significant. And by sitting at the feet of Jesus, we will grow more like him, more patient, more loving, more thoughtful. You know, there are many good things we can do with our lives. The list is endless. 
And we could say it's not sin that is our problem. It's not that, that, that we spend all of our time doing sinful things, but we spend a lot of our time doing good things, things that are helpful, things that are responsible, things that are duties and obligations and, and chores. But sometimes to the neglect of the very best things that we can do with our life. Once again, we have to be careful about saying yes to everything. We brought that up earlier, didn't we? Yes to everything that we are asked to do. In her book, The Best Yes, Lisa Turkers warns against confusing the command to love with the disease to please. That's an interesting phrase. The disease to please others. It is a disease. It is a distraction. It is uh, uh, something that causes us to neglect the better yes, the best yes. She says, the decisions you make determine the schedule you keep. The schedule you keep determines the life you live. How you live your life determines how you spend your soul. Wow, think about that for a minute. How do we spend our souls? What an interesting concept. I remember back in college at 20 years old, I learned in college a profound lesson about this, money. I remember our college uh, president, Jess Johnson, got up one day in chapel and he pulled out some cash and some coins and he showed it to all of us and he says, what is this? Everybody says, well, that's money, that's you know, currency, it's, it's coins, it's cash. And he said, no, what it is, this is coined life. This is coined life. This money represents a part of your life. The reason you have it is because you spent a certain number of hours to get that. You worked for somebody, you did your job, you got paid on payday, and it's coined life. That's all that is. It's a material thing, but it is captured, it is collected together part of your life. You are spending your life here. And money is not the only thing we are spending. We are spending our lives, our time, our energy, our material resources. I want you to think about that for a minute, however, that time is finite. Money is finite. Energy is finite. These are all limited things. There's only so much of them that you're going to have. We each have a certain amount of them to spend, and then they are gone. They're depleted. That's it. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. It's okay to spend your soul. You're supposed to spend your soul. But for what are you spending your soul? For what are you giving your life? We are told to love and to serve and to sacrifice when necessary. We are told to give and to work hard and to maybe even die for the cause of Jesus Christ. But what are we spending our souls doing? Are we sacrificing them for things that really have no eternal benefit, no eternal result, no eternal consequence at all? And the Word of God encourages us, don't forfeit eternity for temporary things, for things that cannot last. Don't fruit away your time doing meaningless things you can't justify. How you use your time, how you use your energy, how you use your resources needs to have an eternal importance and impact. Now, some busyness is unavoidable then. It's okay to spend your soul, but make sure you spend your soul for that which has eternal consequence. Last week, Christian showed us the example of Jesus, didn't he? 
talked about Jesus, and in the early chapter, the first chapter of Mark, he says that Jesus had all these people clamoring for his attention. All these people wanted healing. They wanted to hear what he had to say, what he could do for them. And yet he rose up early in the morning, he went off to prayer, and they had to go looking for him. And they said, Lord, where are you? All these people are waiting for you. And Jesus doesn't even respond to that. He says, let's go to the next place where I can preach. Because I came here to preach. I came to bring the kingdom of God to this world. This morning I want us to look at the example of the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul knew what it was to spend his soul, but to do so for Jesus Christ. He knew of the burden that God had put on his life for the church and for God's work in the world. He was as busy and as burdened as any of us would ever pretend to be. But he was busy for eternity, wasn't he? He was busy for an eternal cause, for an eternal purpose. And I want you to see how Paul described his own life and activities, the things he chose to do for Christ. We're going to turn over to 2 Corinthians. We're going to go to chapter 11, if you'll turn there, please. 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 22. Others were boasting about uh, their work, and, and when he's writing this letter to Corinth, the second letter, they're kind of talking about how big they are in, into God, how spiritual they are, how equipped they are, what great leaders they are, and so on. And Paul's kind of goaded into boasting himself. And he even makes fun of himself. He says, I don't normally boast this way, but because you pushed me into it, I'll go ahead and tell you where I am and what I've done for Christ. Just so you make the point, so you can understand what I'm trying to say here. Starting at verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then in parentheses it says, I'm kind of out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. If they're servant of Christ, then I'm more than that. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. A little jab probably at the people that were giving him problems. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Here is the burden that God had put on Paul's life. And he willingly accepted that burden because the spending of his soul had an eternal consequence, had an eternal benefit, an eternal result. And he was willing to do it. Because it mattered in eternity. If it took his life, okay. If it wore him out, if it exhausted him, okay. Because it had a difference in eternity. John MacArthur said, The cost of true greatness is humble, selfless, sacrificial service. The Christian who desires to be great and first in the kingdom is the one who is willing to serve in the hard place, the demanding place, the place where he is not appreciated and may even be persecuted. 
Knowing that time is short and eternity is long, he is willing to spend and be spent. He is willing to work for excellence without becoming proud, to withstand criticism without becoming bitter, to be misjudged without becoming defensive, to withstand suffering without succumbing to self-pity. That's spending your soul for something that's worth it. Do you remember King Solomon? We looked at him earlier on in this series. Do you remember his many pursuits, his many goals, his many projects, his many wives? What a life he had. For all of his wisdom, King Solomon was more distracted from eternity than anyone. And where did it take him? Where did he end up? Well, we find out when we read his book called Ecclesiastes, don't we? He draws the proper conclusion to a life that is only about things here on earth, temporary things. He uses one word to describe that life. What is that word? Vanity. Meaninglessness. It's worth nothing. It doesn't add up. It doesn't, it doesn't give the result it promises to give. It's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Have you ever chased the wind? Did you catch it? No? Spend a lot of time running around and you got nothing. You can't, you can't hold on to it. That's the conclusion you have to draw when you get to the end of a life and you look back and you realize, I got nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing to show for all that time and effort. But you know, if you ask Paul, at the end of his life, what he got, would he be satisfied? You bet he would. If you came up to Paul and you said, Paul, was it worth it? Was it worth all the blood, sweat, and tears that you expended for the cause of Jesus? He would say, absolutely. Look over here. Look at these hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that his life had touched and impacted for eternity because he gave and gave and gave. And so I want to leave you this morning with an eternal Busyness, bottom line. Eternal busyness, bottom line. Here, here you go. Do you want to decide whether your life has eternal benefit, eternal goal, eternal consequence or not? And what I doing have some kind of eternal impact or is it only for this life? And so it's not enough. It doesn't measure up. It's not worth it. Here we go. Number one, eternal busyness is not always spiritual. Let's establish that. Doing eternal busyness doesn't look churchy or religious. So you can't say, well, that sounds churchy. I guess that's eternal. Some of the greatest and best things we do are simple acts of kindness and compassion. Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. He said that we serve him. We serve eternity when we give a hungry person something to eat, when we give a thirsty person something to drink, and when we invite a stranger into our home, or when we clothe the naked, or we visit the sick, or those in prison. Matthew 25, he says, this is how you know if you're doing something that affects eternity. These are simple things. These are not necessarily spiritual things, but if you do them in my name, they now have that eternal consequence we're looking for. Secondly, eternal busyness is not always efficient. Eternal busyness sometimes takes longer than we think it should, and it costs us more than we think we're prepared to give. But we're not to worry about that, because if God is in there using us, somehow helping someone, it's okay if it takes a lot of time 
takes a lot of our energy and effort. We need to be effective, but not necessarily efficient. And the way to be effective is to listen to God and to do whatever he tells you to do. The results are up to him. That's his business. Our job, our business, is obedience. So if God is, is got us in there and doing something, and we say, wow, this is taking a lot of time. This is difficult. I don't see a whole lot happening yet. I'm still in here days later, weeks later, months later. But God's got you in it. Just keep doing it. Because what happens is, is effectiveness. It's not efficiency, but effectiveness is a big difference. Thirdly, eternal busyness is always spirit-led. Romans 8.14 says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who follow His leading know they're on the right track. So if you feel that God is leading you to do something and it squares what the Scripture says a Christian ought to be doing, then you go for that because that has eternal benefit. That has eternal consequence. But if you're just doing something because you like to do it or because somebody else wants you to do it, you need to stop and think about that for a minute. Does, there ha does this have any eternal benefit? Is this really led by the Spirit of God? In eternal busyness, we just have to make sure that we're listening to God, doing whatever God wants us to do. We have to make sure that we're using our time and energy doing the things that God has put on our plate day by day by day. And we need to worry uh, about doing things that He says are important, living by the values He's given us. D.L. Moody said this, Trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. But trust in God, uh, trust in your friends, and they will die and leave you. But trust in God and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. Martin Luther made a similar statement. He said this, I have held many things in my hands. I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So put it over to the Spirit of God. Put it over to the leadership and guidance of God. And say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you put on my plate for today? What is on my agenda because you put it there? Well, how are you controlling my life? How are you dictating to me? I will obey you. I will be willing. I will be available and then whatever God puts on your life will have eternal benefit. Fourth, bottom line, eternal busyness always includes Jesus. Here is that one ingredient that must be there for it to have eternal benefit. Jesus is the one who changes everything. He is the critical ingredient. Getting Jesus to people and people to Jesus is the only thing that matters ultimately. So you may be giving a cup of cold water. You may be helping somebody change their tire. You may be babysitting somebody else's kids. You may be working extra hours than you really wanted to. You may be sacrificing at a level you never expected to. But if Jesus is part of that equation and the name of Jesus is being given and the, the, the ministry of Jesus is being shared and the gospel is being preached through your life and through your words, you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. As Peter and John said in Acts 4, 12 and 25, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're saying, Jesus is all that matters. And we can't be stopped because we're in it for Jesus. And we're going to make Jesus the subject. We're going to make Jesus the priority of our lives. 
Kevin DeYoung said, the busyness that is bad is not the busyness of work, but the busyness that works hard at the wrong things. It's being busy trying to please people, busy trying to control others, busy trying to do things we haven't been called to do. Some busyness, however, is from the Lord. And some busyness, he says, brings Him glory. Effective love is rarely efficient. People take time. Relationships are messy. If we love others, how can we not be busy and burdened at least some of the time? So maybe your life is busy. But if it's about eternal things, it is worth it. You're going to get drained. You're going to get fried. You're going to get overwhelmed at times. But if you're doing eternal things, then you just hang in there because God will enable you. God will guide you. God will use your life to His glory. Sarah Winchester's husband made a lot of money selling rifles. You can imagine how many Winchester rifles were sold in those early days in the first 50 years of that company. Fortune was made manufacturing and selling rifles, and then he died of influenza in 1918. She moved to San Jose, California, and she was convinced somehow that those many Indians who had died being killed by Winchester rifles wanted revenge. She started feeling terrible about that. It just, the memory of that, the, the, the realization of that haunted her. She was not a Christian, so she sought out a medium to contact her dead husband. And the medium told her, told her, this is the message, as long as you keep building your home, you will never face death. Just keep building on your house and you will stay alive. So you don't have to worry about somebody coming and getting you for all this. So she believed him and she bought this unfinished 17-room mansion. And she started to expand it. The project continued from that year until she reached 85 and died. It cost $5 million, the work she did, at a time when workmen were making 50 cents a day. So $5 million was a lot, a lot of money. The mansion had 150 rooms when she died, 13 bathrooms, 2,000 doors, 47 fireplaces, and 10,000 windows. It's a tourist attraction now. People come and look at this house and say, wow, what is this monstrosity? She left enough materials when she died so they could have continued building for another 50 years. This woman was scared. She was afraid of death. She was putting off death. She had, at the end of her life, an empty shell of a house and nothing to show for eternity. She tried her whole life to avoid death rather than prepare herself for eternity. She missed the point completely. What about you? What about you? Is your life about eternity? Let's pray. <coughs> Father, our lives can be so busy with so many things. We can get distracted from the best by many good things. It's not that we're just chasing after sinful things all the time, or living in a moral lifestyle, or anything like that. We just we just don't know our way. We don't know what's important. And I pray, Lord, that you would help our lives to be about eternity, because our time here is so short. We only have so much time, so much energy. 
so many resources available to us. We have a lot of responsibilities, Lord. Um, we have jobs. We have school. We have friends, family, all kinds of relationships there that, that we're part of. And we want to do right by people. Sometimes we get to a point where we're just trying to please them, trying to do things that don't really matter. I pray that you would help us to have your discernment, your wisdom. And I pray that our lives would eventually be all about eternity. Preparing for our own eternity, preparing many other people for eternity, and sharing Jesus. Because eternal busyness is always inclusive of Jesus. He's the ingredient. He's the one Savior, and we must know him, and others must know him if they're going to have eternity with you. Lord, uh, as we consider our own lives, as we start this week with school and, and all the other busy activities of the fall, we pray that you would help us to evaluate, spend some time thinking and praying about this, that your spirit would lead us because we are willing to be led that your spirit would change us because we're willing to be changed and not just holding on to our own lives, our own control, our own desires. Uh, we surrender to you. For my brothers and sisters here uh, that are trying to live for you, I pray that we could encourage one another that as a church uh, we would support and help each other to stay on the, the right path. And as a church, we would not be about uh, frivolous activities that have no eternal benefit, but that we would be sharing Jesus and we would be helping to people to come to know Jesus. Even if it's a cup of cold water, if it's a block party, uh, if it's babysitting, if it's fixing the flat tire of a friend, whatever it may be, Lord, if it has that eternal Goal, that eternal benefit, and Jesus is part of it. May you keep us in there, even when we're exhausted and we're spent and we're overcome. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for giving us this ministry, for calling us into it, and for giving us an eternal reason to live. In Jesus' name, amen.